Welcome to History Notes and part two of From Selma to Montgomery, where we have been talking to the Deputy Chief Sean Barnes and Obed Magny, who along with Deputy Chief Tarek McGuire, walked a 54-mile journey from Selma to Montgomery during the summer of 2020. As African-American law enforcement leaders, the men wanted to highlight and challenge our democracy to live up to its full creed today in the future, while also paying homage to the sacrifices made in the past particularly the 1965 Selma to Montgomery March, infamously known as Bloody Sunday. At the end of the day, when we come home, I mean, literally at the end of the day, when we come home, we take off our uniform. Yeah, we were hurting, but the metaphor in all this was, there are people hurting today. There were people hurting back then. There were people struggling for rights and, you know, they were being beat down. During part two, We'll ask the men what the 54-mile walk was like, whom did they meet, and what was accomplished. Here is part two of From Selma to Montgomery. You know, I, I was trying to think as I was preparing for this, I said, has there been a time where I walked 54 miles? And the closest, I was in the military, and we did a 18-mile uh, road march one time with a 50, uh, uh, I can't remember how, 45-pound rucksack on our back. And I was much younger then. That was eons ago. Um, but I do remember they would tell us, our drill sergeants would tell us uh, to focus on certain points. So mile 15, look for this. And then mile 30, oh, I'm sorry, mile, um, I'm trying to divide six, look for this. Mile 12, look for this. And then mile 18, look for the finish. So we always had those points uh, that we would cross that we would say, okay, we achieved this goal. We can keep going. It kind of motivated us. Um, so did you, I'm thinking had to, you had to stay in hotel rooms every 20 miles. So number one, that's money. Oh, oh tell me if I'm wrong. Did you, you walk 20 yeah. miles? Do you have to get a room? Oh, no, you're good. How did it feel when you reached at mile 18? You're like, I'm almost there. I can rest a little bit. So we, we the way we did it was, um, so please note that in, in 1965, they actually camped. And mm. so there are markers, um, that signify where they camped. So that, that is very motivating too when you walk and you get to see that. But um, because we had a, a, a small film crew with us, we were able to stay actually in Montgomery. And so after mile 15, uh, they'd come back and get us. We'd go back to the hotel, try to rehab our feet. And then we'd come back in the evening for another five mile evening, which would normally rain uh, stretch for us where we left off and then we would start again. But I gotta tell you that that third day, uh, uh, once again, it's, it's spiritual and mental. That third day, we knew we had 14 miles left, but in our minds, we could not reconcile the route. And so Obed was like, no, we're gonna go up here. We're gonna turn here. This is the route they took. And I'm like, that seems like a long ways. And so it's almost like an old cartoon of a mirage that's right in front of you, but it's so far away. And so without these brothers with me, you know, I probably would have either cheated or not, or, or, or said no, because we passed one gas station and Obed will tell you, I swear I saw that gas station before. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I was like, I know I've seen that before, where are you going? But um, <laughs> I did that every single day. It was a different gas station. But um, it is it is a spiritual journey, uh, Rodney, when you think about what people have done for uh, minorities in this country, we owe a great debt to a lot of people. 
Um, and, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, my undergraduate degree is in history. And so I was a high school history teacher for four years uh, back in a place called Bertie County, which is in Windsor, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And um, that was probably one of the best times of my life because I, I love learning and, and teaching about uh, history. And I think that uh, there's a lot to learn from it. And I hope that through this journey, myself, Obed, and Tariq, we become part of history. I, I think that's that. Uh, who's the jovial one? Who's keeping everyone going and lighthearted? I think we know that's Obed. That's, that's Obed. I mean, he's great. California all the you time. Know. <laughs> so Obed is the jovial one. Um, I'm the um, analytical. Um, have we changed our socks? What mile are we on? What's the temperature? What's our pace? You know, I'm, 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 I'm crunching the data. And then Tarek is, you know, he's kind of like our leader. He's walking up front. Um, you know, depending on what's going on, he's happy. Depending on what's going on, he's upset. So he's like that, you know, that uh, colonel, general up front, uh, keeping us going. So, describe Tarek for me so the, fo the folks can get a mental picture of him. So let me describe Tarek. So Tarek um, was a tight end at uh, Oklahoma State University uh, back in college. He's probably about 6'4", maybe 225. And although, you know, being that size, you know, he naturally becomes our physical leader. He's walking up front sometimes. Sometimes we're walking side by side. But uh, he's not on here, so I can say it. When it rained, I stood behind him. <laughs> he's, so he's a blocking tight end. <laughs> I think he is, whether he knows it or not. So. Gotcha. All right. And if you ever hear him speak, uh, you almost think that he is Luther King reincarnated. He's a great public speaker. Yeah. Uh, when he speaks, great. you know, he commands your attention. If you understand the history of policing in the United States of America, you will really look at informal policing processes at the point of slavery. When slaves were originally brought to our country and they were placed on plantations and they were there to work for profit, for whomever their slave master was. And when those slaves would leave to escape, then those that were employed to police the property were to go get the slaves, arrest them and beat them and bring them back. It was estimated that during slavery and the civil rights movement, that over 4,000 African-Americans were lynched in this country. And it's also alleged that as they hung and as they burned, that many of them were handcuffed behind their back. And so as we look at the civil rights movement, we look at the role of law enforcement when it came to the civil rights movement and we understand that police really uh, used excessive force, did not protect the constitutional rights of citizens. And here most recently, we've seen video on television where an African-American male was handcuffed on the ground and an officer immediately gets out of his vehicle and runs up and begins to kick the gentleman in the head. That's what people are afraid of. That's what people are concerned about. But ultimately, I cannot stand here and omit that it takes courage to wear the badge, that it takes courage to work in this profession. And we have to acknowledge the acts and the works that police do every single day to protect our communities. There are over 18,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States of America. 
Out of 18,000 law enforcement agencies, there are approximately 900,000 plus police officers who get up every single day, regardless of the atmosphere and politics, regardless of the atmosphere in their communities, and they go out every single day and service their community. And, you know, if I could add one more thing to what, you know, Sean brought up into your question. Um, although we all have like three different personalities, the one thing that we learned about each other during this during this walk, during this uh, experience was that we really got to know each other. Like we thought we knew each other, but then we really got to know each other. Um, I can't tell you how many countless conversations we had. Uh, one in particular that sticks out was, uh, you know, Sean, myself, you know, Tark. We had the conversation of, you know, uh, what is the agenda moving forward? Like if we were all, you know, tapped to be cabinet, you know, members, what would that policy look like moving forward to for policing and we all had varying you know varying views and different aspects and different takes but uh was the respect and seeing the other side there was you know some things that were brought up by Tarek and by Sean I was like you know I never really thought about that that's a really good point and vice versa you know so you know yeah the walking was you know a little treacherous a little bit and everything but you know there were some deep conversations we really really got to know each other and understand our backgrounds and why we think the way we think and why we see things the way we see things. Uh, so, you know, that was another added dimension, you know, in this process, in this journey. All right, well, we're gonna uh, come to a pause and then we'll pick up on the other side. But when I come back, I wanna ask you about, uh, although you had a film crew around you, you're walking in the deep South on a highway, three um, African-American men and uh, what that experience was like, whom you talked to and uh, wanna talk about the, the uh, conversation you have with Ann. So uh, we're, we're here with Deputy Chiefs uh, Sean Barnes, uh, uh, in, going to be in Chicago full time, and uh, Dep uh, Police Officer Obed Magney in California. So uh, you got up early for us, but we'll be back. We're talking about the 54 mile journey on History Notes and join us on the other side. The Greensboro History Museum wants to be your resource. Visit greensborohistory.org or pay us a visit at 130 Summit Avenue, Greensboro. We're here to be an educational resource, whether it's a classroom, Sunday school room, or your living room. If it's to take a look back long ago or history happening now, we have wonderful staff, docents, and volunteers who are here for you. It's the Greensboro History Museum. Welcome back, Rodney Dawson, Curator of Education here at History Notes. And uh, once again, I'm pleased to be joined by Deputy Chief Sean Barnes and uh, Officer Obed Magney, uh, both doctors. I'm working to get my doctorate. Maybe y'all can loan me something until I get there. <laughs> but one in Sacramento, California. And uh, you know what? I'm going to ask you something. One in Sacramento, California, another's uh, in Salisbury, uh, Winston, but uh, on his way to Chicago. But before I get to that, we're going to talk about some of the encounters you had. What's the difference between being an officer on the West Coast in California and an officer in the Bible Belt on, in North Carolina? I'll start with you, Obed. Or is there a difference? Uh, I, get to wear shorts. Uh, I get to wear short sleeves year-round. <clears throat> I don't have to deal with the snow. <laughs> I don't have to deal with no cold weather or anything like that. Um, but you know, for the record, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. So that's where I grew up and I had to get out of the cold weather. That's why I'm out here on you know, the West coast. Cause, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't do well in the cold. 
Um, but policing, you know, I can't speak for Salisbury out here. I would say that in California, and I'm not trying to say this with any um, prejudice or anything, but I feel like we're very progressive out here with a lot of the policies and the trainings. Um, I feel like we're ahead of the curve on a lot of things uh, compared to, you know, uh, and this is no shade to anybody else, you know, across the country or anything like that. Uh, but what I've noticed in, you know, at least in policing and training, uh, you know, out here on the West Coast, um, we're we're very progressive on a lot of things. We're ahead of the curve on a lot of things. So uh, that's one thing that I can say that I've noticed uh, here on the West Coast versus uh, what I've seen elsewhere. What about you, Sean? How, what's your take? You know, I think um, in the South, um, there's this um, level of respect and courtesy that people from the South have towards each other, but um, it's kind of like an iceberg, right? So you see at the top, you know, the, how you doing, ma'am? Hello, ma'am. But underneath that, it's something bigger. And it's that as long as you play your role, everything will be fine for you. But if you attempt to tip that iceberg, um, it doesn't work. And so uh, Obed mentioned progressiveness. Um, I would like to see Southern policing and, and general Southern criminal justice system embrace more of a progressive nature. Uh, that's hard because the South is still very segregated. Um, and if, if we can't fix those issues, um, it's, it's just gonna be that hot layer um, of cordialness, but uh, beneath the surface, you know that um, on the weekends, you're not gonna see anyone that doesn't look like you. You're not gonna go to church with anyone who doesn't look like you and you're not going to have those uh, experiences. So, um, but um, I, I do like policing in the South. I think there's some hardworking folks down there um, and they'll, they'll do anything you ask them to. All right, that's a good segue. You're talking about being in the South and I can talk forever and I'm gonna run out of time. So I try to keep my mouth shut and let the people listen to you. Uh, but you are down South when you, you're going from uh, Selma to Montgomery. That's US Highway 80, am I correct? I believe that's correct, yes. Uh -huh. And so you're going yep. yard down south. You're mm -hmm. three uh, African American, uh, not small men. You even talk about uh, uh, Brother McGuire, who's six feet four, former tight end at Oklahoma State. Uh, so uh, there's some different perceptions with that. Um, what are the encounters like? You know, um, I understand that that Obed, you all ran into a young lady named Ann. Uh, walk us through that, please. So we're walking on eighty. And this car pulls up, you know, I'm walking on the uh, opposite side of the road because, you know, we're walking against traffic so that we can see what's in front of us. And, you know, this woman gets out and, you know, we, we didn't know what to expect. We don't know if this is a film crew, you know, like the local news station or whatever it is. And she's like, hey, you know, how you guys doing? You know, I just see you guys walking. And we're all wearing this shirt, this Justice shirt. So she was in the midst of a tour, a civil rights tour. So she was going to go to Memphis. She was going to Selma at the time. As I mean, yeah, she was going to Selma as we're walking to Montgomery. So she was in Montgomery. And so she was doing like her own little solo tour. And she was intrigued by seeing your brothers walking down. And she was like, well, I, I just saw that you guys were, you know, walking. And, you know, I just, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I support it. And so we kind of talked a little bit about who we were. And she offered us water, peanut butter sandwiches and everything. She was just she just she was so supportive of us and we hadn't even gotten to know each other just yet 
-hmm. And, you know, it just lets you know that we have some humanity, uh, you know, here in the United States. I know that there's a lot of negative, um, you know, talk about where we are and everything. But, you know, here's this woman who we don't know from Adam. and She doesn't know us from Adam. Uh, pulls off to the side of the road to offer us water and food. And then we get to know each other. And she was just that much more supportive of the fact that, you know, we're trying to pay tribute to those who came before us and using our platforms to advance it even further. You know, it's just, it was just a positive experience. You know, it was totally something unexpected. Um, you always hear the stereotypes of, you know, everybody in the South is racist and this, that, and the third. And here's this white woman who said that she drove by us the first time saw us, turned around in the middle of the freeway, because, you know, you can see this, like, breaks in the 80s, right. turns around and then goes back in the other side of the uh, freeway, comes back around again. She was that motivated to talk to us and, you know, communicate with us and support us. And that was, I gotta be honest with you, that was a, that was, that motivated us to mm -hmm. finish this walk that much more. And not saying that we were down or anything, but that gave us so much energy. Mm -hmm. That's like saying that marker. Yeah, somebody that just went out of the way to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely unexpected. And it was just, you know, um, I mean, I personally, like, that supercharged me to keep walking, you know. Um, and I know I'm speaking for the other two. It's the same thing. So it was just super positive experience. At any point in time where you're, uh, I saw the video when you reached Montgomery, but is there any point in time um, in route that you're, you're almost in tears, you get emotional? Uh, more like how many times? Oh, um, yeah. I, think that, I think that would be a passion. Um, you know, obviously the end of it was emotional, but you know, that encounter with Anne was also emotional because again, during the walk, you know, there were times where we talked about, you know, some of these social issues that we have going on today and what responsibilities we have for us being law enforcement leaders. And, you know, the convergence of all, you know, of all those things. And what does it mean moving forward? And the metaphor of, you know, the civil rights movement and, you know, some of the challenges that we got going on today, you know, with, you know, again, I use the example of the dogs chasing us, the thunder showers, the heat. And when you think about the struggles moving forward, us as law enforcement leaders, black, you know, law enforcement leaders moving forward, you know, with our platform, none of what we're going to be doing is easy. None of what's going on right now is easy. Mm -hmm. Right now you're seeing the metaphor dogs being thrown at us, and I'm saying us collectively in this country, as we move forward, there's going to be some struggles, just like those who came before us had to go through some struggles. And there are some people who are there who support us and who support the movement, uh, such as Anne, and we kind of coined the phrase, Anne is now the new Karen, or the anti-Karen, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want more people to be like Anne. So um, as far as the tears and everything, I would say that the supporting of each other is what kept us, you know, uh, motivated. And that wasn't the only encounter. There were, just, there were guys in their trucks, you know, honking their horns at us, people supporting us as they drove by, waving at us. So there was a lot of that, a lot more than I had anticipated. So uh, that definitely helped keep us up and keep our spirits up. Good stuff, good stuff. And Sean, you you talked about off, off mic about uh, a gentleman that you remembered. Um, that was impactful for you. Uh, can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, so, you know, the the encounter with Anne, uh, who is a white female, I don't know if we mentioned that before, but, you know, it, that, that was impactful as well. Um, but we encountered a guy who pulled over in the truck um, named Henry. Henry's a black male, rather large guy, you know, deep Southern 
accent, Southern draw. And um, he says, hey, what are you guys doing? Almost angrily, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a big guy, you know, in a big truck. And so we go over and uh, we introduce ourselves and, and Obed says, hey, we're all police officers. We're walking this. And he says, you know, well, what's in it for us? Like kind of a why. Mm -hmm. And his point was that he had experienced the movie Selma and the film crew coming to Selma, Alabama to do work, but he had not experienced any change. Um, and for him, you know, he kind of brought it home to us that there are still people in America who are struggling and they're waiting for their opportunity. People in America, uh, like Henry, they're not asking for you to give them something. They're asking for their opportunity. And I know this because his comment to us was, we have so much land here. Why can't someone develop this land? We have access to water here. Why can't we have you know, transportation? Um, why can't we have industry here in this area um, like we have in other parts uh, of the country? And so once we explained to him what we were doing, he kind of calmed down a little bit because quite frankly, he didn't want his beloved city, Selma and Montgomery, to be exploited by yet another group coming through with cameras to use their um, city as a backdrop for something to make money, and right. they are left being the same. And so there's no money involved in our project. Um, uh, we, we, you know, we, we are self-financed and we have some donors, but there's no big budget and we're not uh, trying to sell anything to anybody. And so once he realized that, you know, we really had a great conversation, but, but he's right. And, um, you know, I know you do a lot of things uh, historically, but politically, um, and I hope I'm not out of turn by saying this, Rodney, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, politically, one of the great failures of politics in this country is that our politicians have ignored the South. They've ignored areas and they've developed major metropolitan cities, which tend to be more progressive because you have proximity to people who think different than you. And so if we don't begin to develop some of these areas that has natural, have natural resources, how can we expect them to change? You can't change by being around the same type people all the time. And so that proximity piece is something that we took out when we did our final three points about the walk, which we'll get to later. I see you, I hear you, I'm accountable to you. We got some of that from the conversation we had with Ann and from the conversation that we had with Henry. You can't just listen to someone and say, yeah, okay, and then you leave and everything is the same. That's not being accountable to them. And that's what we learned with our conversation from Henry. Metaphorically, metaphorically, um you talked about some of the signs that you look for when you embark on a journey like this. And I'm not, not just you, but when anybody takes on something yeah. large scale, you look for signs. Uh, but you got to a point where you, you um, stopped, you saw a sign, a church sign, and you made it a point to, um, to point out rather that stop looking for signs above and look, look and see the signs directly in front of you. In other words, God doesn't necessarily have to, bring down thunder all the time for you to, to notice them. Um, what, what did that moment, quickly, what did that moment mean to you? 
God, it meant so much to me because we had started walking from that bridge. Let me tell you, if, 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 if you don't have a church home in Selma or Montgomery, that's your fault. That's literally a church and obeying back me up. Literally every four or five miles along that stretch. And one thing that they have in common is that they all have these signs out front, almost kind of like an advertisement sign that you mm-hmm. see back in the day. And everyone puts these really uh, smart, um, you know, reminders about life, about God. And we have been reading these signs and Obed have been taking them pictures of all of them and taking pictures with them. And then we had gotten to the end, I think of the first day and uh, we were getting ready to go in for our break. And, and it was right in front of me and it was a church and the sign said, hey, you know, stop looking for all these signs about what to do about life and read the ones that are directly in front of you. And when I saw it, it's like I almost, even now, I almost got emotional because I, I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I look for indicators that I'm doing a good job. We all do. We want, we want we're, uh, you know, my love language is words of affirmation, right? You know, we look for people to tell us that we're doing okay. <laughs> when truth of the matter is, if we focus on the work at hand, if we focus on um, those things that we set out to do and we complete them, no matter how small they are, then we're progressing. One of the things that I wanted to do when I came to Salisbury is I wanted to increase the number of my, uh, my minority officers we have in the police department. And when I left, we have more minority officers than we've ever had in, in the history of the police department. You know, I, I have minorities who are in charge of, of nations, who are in charge of recruiting, things of that nature. And um, I'm still looking for more and more affirmation instead of just being grateful and thankful for the things. Uh, <coughs> we saw a bunch of signs. We took a whole bunch of pictures of them, and hopefully they'll all be uh, in the documentary. Obed, you want to say anything about any of those signs? I know you took a picture of a lot of them. Yeah, I pretty much took video. I was kind of like the de facto videographer of the group because I was videoing everything and recording everything myself. Um, you know, so to piggyback again off of what Sean's saying, you know, the signs were, you know, it was almost like messages from God every like five miles. And to his point, I don't think I've ever seen so many churches on any stretch of any road or any street anywhere. So yeah, if you can't find a church in Selma or between Selma and Montgomery, I, I don't know what to tell you either. Um, but you know, the other thing with the signs is, you know, as we talked about Anne and we talked about Henry, you know, those were signs too. And I know you've heard me talk about it before about the storms and everything else, but there was always a sign. There was always a message. Um, uh, during this journey, and they came in different different ways, whether it was church signs or something with the weather, different people that we encountered. Uh, I would even say that the messages of people who were honking their horns and tractor trailers, who would, you know, from like maybe a half, not even half, maybe like a quarter mile away, would just start honking their horn, knowing that they probably saw us from the day prior on the same roadway, was also a sign to not give up, to keep the keep up the good fight, to keep going, don't stop. Um, so again, there were just, there were signs everywhere, you know, in addition to the, uh, you know, the signs that we were seeing with the, uh, with the churches. So yeah, that was, a, you know, there was, there was pick me ups all around, all across the, all across the journey, there were pick me ups. 
Yeah, and there were others that stopped too, Rodney, and we won't get into all of them, but you know, there was a young couple that stopped when we were walking in the rain, wanted to make sure that we weren't just broken down. They didn't have room for us. They would have threw us in the back if we asked. There were some young guys who worked the night shift who had seen us the day before, who stopped. You know, they got the, the nice cars with the big rims and, and they're bumping and they're like, hey man, I know what you're doing. Like, you know, I, I appreciate you and and you know, you know, if you need anything from us, hey, we get off work this time every morning, we'll see you tomorrow. And they just, you know, fed off with the music blasting. So there were a lot of signs and a lot of encouragement um, that people do want want social justice. Well, in our final takeaway, our final moments rather, let's talk about the takeaway. And um, uh, you all came up with uh, three tenets, you know, for lack of a better word. But uh, I see you, I hear you, and I'm accountable to you. And so in these final moments, can I'll just, whichever one can jump in uh, and you can switch it off like you want, but talk to us about that. I see you, I hear you, I'm accountable to you. Yeah, so, you know, that last mile. Uh, you going? Okay. Uh, that, oh, no, no, good, you're good, you're good. Okay, that, that last mile, um, which is why, uh, uh, coincidentally, the, the, the book that we've, we've uh, almost completed, called the 54th mile, um, something happens in that last mile. It's almost like a, a transformation where you, you know, you, you kind of get your enlightenment, right? And one of the things that we start, that, that last mile, Rodney, we just began to, man, we just began to write, right? On our phones, everything just started to flow. And, you know, one of the things that I pointed out was that, you know, your great men in history, they all took a journey. You know, your Martin Luther King, your Malcolm X, your Gandhi, uh, your Buddha, Confucius, you know, Jesus Christ. Everyone took that. Everyone has taken a journey um, of, of, of some sorts. Um, Nelson Mandela, um, Malcolm X. This was our, me, my journey. And that last mile, we came up with three things that we wanted to take away from what we've learned. And the first one um, is uh, I see you. And what that means is. Um, we have to teach people to be able to recognize the humanity in people and not their circumstances. As a police officer, I may encounter you, uh, Rodney, if I'm working, it will be on your worst day. You will not call me over to your house to tell me that you had a great day and ask me to help, right? And so as police officers, we have to teach people to see the humanity in people and understand that people, no one is the sum of their worst day. So you have to actually see people. Second thing is I hear you, which for me means that um, you have to take steps to implement change because I think a lot of politicians, a lot of leaders are good at uh, hearing, but not so good at listening. And so if you are telling someone something about how you feel, that should be evidence you understand that. It has to be some action. And so I know that we're in the midst of Black Lives Matter and all this other kind of protesting, which is great. But at some point, there has to be an act. Or if you're actually listening to them, not just kneeling with them or trying to get them to go away, if you're listening to them, there's going to be some action that's going to prove that you actually understand what they're trying to say, some type of policy change. Um, and then lastly, is I'm accountable to you. We have to be accountable to each other. The Africans totally got it right. 
when they said it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed. We have to be accountable for each other. Um, not just when something goes wrong, we have to be accountable for each other at all times. That means if, if I have a relative who has mental illness and he's having a bad day, I gotta be accountable to him and not give it off to someone else. Police officers are not trained or equipped to deal with the level of mental illness that we've seen in the last time. We all have to be accountable to each other. And as a police officer, my I have to be accountable not only to the people in the police department, but also to our citizens. And because I say black lives matter, that does not mean that blue lives don't. Because I may kneel with citizens, that doesn't mean that I don't support my police department. Because I posted a picture of myself praying, by the way, on Edmund Pettus Bridge, it doesn't mean that I have to be befriended by my police friends. And because I show myself in uniform, it doesn't mean that my friends and all fraternity brothers have the right to call me derogatory names because I'm a police who must be accountable. Hey everybody, we done it. Uh, we did it. 54 miles from Selma to Montgomery, behind me over my right shoulder uh, is the state capitals where um, many people, citizens, Americans, white, black, Indian, male, female, they walk uh, for voting rights. It's been emotional for me. So I'm gonna turn this way. Everybody has been sending me messages, and DMs. I thank God for each and every last one of you. For my family, kids oh, i don't know if i can follow that uh that was that was fantastic uh so i'm gonna put a different uh angle on this when we say i see you i equate it to the check engine light that comes on on your car right mm -hmm. so if you see that there's a potential problem with your car you've got to address it and you've got to address it immediately you don't wait until you find yourself you know going down the road and then the engine explodes and then you're like, well, you know what? I probably should have taken care of this in the first place. So now instead of maybe paying 30 bucks to fix whatever that issue is, I'm paying $5,000 to take care of that. That's no different than what we're going through today. When we say, I see you, when I say that I see you, I'm saying I see the issues that are going on. I see some of the structural deficiencies. I see some of the pain that people are going through. And I recognize I need to do something about that or use my platform to do something about that. When we say that I hear you, I think about, and I don't know if anybody's seen the footage, but in Wisconsin, uh, I think the corrections building or uh, one of the buildings there that houses the corrections department was burned down to the ground. And there was a sign that somebody spray painted on the side of it. And it said something to the, uh, something, something to the effect of, do you hear us now? Hmm. And so when we say we hear you, it is the language of people who are in pain. And we can't listen to respond. We have to listen for that pain. And we have to listen with the intent of being part of that healing process. We can't say, like Sean was saying, yeah, we hear what you're saying, but you know what, blah, blah, blah. No, 
we need people in pain and they want to vent. We got to allow people to vent their frustrations because we don't legitimize or acknowledge the pain that people are going through. We're never going to get through this process that we're going through right now. So when we say we hear you, when I say I hear you, I hear your pain. Don hears your pain and Tarek hears your pain. And that goes back to the last point. We are accountable to each other. I'm accountable to Sean. Sean's accountable to me. Tarek's accountable to the both of us. And we're accountable to Sean and to, to Tarek. And we're also accountable to our peers. We're accountable to the community. If we, with our voice and with our platform, do nothing with it, then we're complicit in the problems that we have right now. If we stay silent, that means we're complicit and we're adding to the angst that's going on right now. So when we say that we're accountable to you, you know that Sean, myself, Tark, we're working overtime, at least in our capacity, to make sure that we help in the healing process, that we help in the trust and legitimacy gap. Uh, because this is 2020 and we're almost in September. Staying silent is no longer is no longer an option. We have to hold each other accountable and we have to be accountable to the people who hold us to the highest, highest standards. As black police officers, we know that that standard is even that much higher and we have that much more responsibility. So that's how all of those things tie together. And that's how we're gonna you know, use our platform to move this forward. Right, uh, Dr. King said that silence does not mean peace. So uh, I think you summed that up well. In uh, one word, and then I'm, I'm gonna close the shot down. I know uh, Sean Barnes has to get somewhere too, but in one word, what would Tarek McGuire say Obed, about this experience? Just, oh, uh, powerful. He would say powerful. Dr. Sean Barnes, what would Tarek McGuire say? Tarek would probably say transformational. I think we all, uh, we, we did have a transformation who we are and what we want to do with our profession and about change, so transformation. Well, uh, doctors, uh, Deputy Chief Sean Barnes and uh, officer from Sacramento, California, Obed Magni, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, on behalf of uh, soon to be doctor or Dr. Uh, Tarek McGuire, uh, who's in uh, Arlington, Texas, couldn't be with us because he got called to duty. Um, thank you for joining us. And we hope that those that listen to this and that the forthcoming book will do just that bring transformation and continue to bring justice. So thank you for your work and thank you for spending time uh, with us today on History Month.